even if like just riffing on company, building a company, like your first ideas are probably going to be not great. Sup, nerds. Welcome to another episode of Cyber Patterns. Today, we've got Nathan Bow on. He's got over 130,000 followers on Twitter, and you probably have seen him all around for his newsletter, World Builders. He teaches you about the art of storytelling. Today, we have a great conversation about storytelling, about what makes brands good, and he even gives me a masterclass on the perfect Twitter bio. Really helpful conversation, and I learned a lot, so I think you guys will enjoy. All right, cool. Um, so I just read your article this weekend. I think that John Mayer video that you included was really good. And I'm um, wondering why you included it and, and how it kind of relates to storytelling and writing. I, so something I think about a lot is like, how do people get good at something? Uh, and it's very easy to just, I mean, we spend a lot of time on Twitter. It's super easy just to like read stuff on Twitter and be like, oh, I'm getting better at whatever it might be. Uh, when in reality, there's only so much that you can learn from just like reading without doing. And so for anybody listening, the John Mayer video is literally two and a half minutes long. And he just, he hears a, like a beat, starts playing his guitar. And then he just starts riffing on lyrics right there. And he does one pass through. Then he repeats that with slightly different lyrics and essentially goes through that process three different times. And then at the end of those two and a half minutes, he has the foundations of, you know, a John Mayer song. And it took him less than five minutes. Uh, and I think there's something pretty powerful to just being able to say, okay, we're going to jump in. It's the whole idea of a, a shitty first draft. Like whether it's uh, a song or like an essay, even if it's like just riffing on company, like building a company, like your first ideas are probably going to be not great, uh, but you have to get them out there and that kind of will clear your mind up. I think like you'll start to uh, pattern match a little bit, like what is good, what is bad. And then you'll naturally start flowing in more of those, what are good ideas. Uh, so I think that John Mayer video did a great job of showing that. Yeah, for real. That's definitely how I write. I just throw sentences together and sometimes just bullet yeah. points and, and try to make yeah. it happen. Like uh, somebody asked me, like, how does your writing sound natural? I'm just like, it's not. It's so much editing. <laughs> that's uh, yeah. I think that's one of the funny things about writing. Like, Good writing looks simple, looks easy. But whenever you read somebody's writing, like, and you're not thinking about the writing because you're just thinking about like the ideas behind it. Like that means it's so well written. Probably took a lot of time and a lot of edits to, to get it to that point. 100%. And then for the John Mayer video, I also think about like rappers freestyling and how yeah. you'll see somebody just kind of like pick up on the beat and mumble a bit for the first 30 seconds or yep. 10 seconds. And then they have lyrics in their head that they're slowly building together. Uh, so it's it's cool to see John Mayer doing that. Also, you know, he's in, he plays with the Grateful Dead now, so they kind of make shit up on the spot. I didn't so, know that. Yeah, yeah, he tours yeah. with the Grateful Dead. Um, but That's awesome. yeah, speaking of uh, fantastic storytellers, um, you know, your pin thread right now, Steve Jobs, um, right? Steve Jobs uh, was an excellent storyteller, both in his presentations 
And just, uh, you know, I, I'm sure you've heard about like, what is it? The reality distortion field that he was able to kind of create, yeah, change ideas. So what made Steve Jobs such an excellent storyteller that we'll remember him for a long time? So I, I, I've done quite a bit of research on Jobs, like beyond uh, the biography too. Like uh, we... When we talk about Steve Jobs' storytelling, it's almost all exclusively his second stint at Apple. Um, so like two thousand, I forget exact year he went back in like ninety eight. Um, but when he got back, he essentially simplified everything down and said, "We have way too many products. Things are way too like spread thin." So he cut that all back, focused on a few core things, and I think that is pretty underrated when it comes to his storytelling because he needed to nail, you know, three to five stories instead of 20. Uh, so I and the marketing, like that wasn't there, but their products were still there. Like they had the Macintosh, like it was one of the first, uh, you know, personal computers on the market and they had that, but they still didn't do super well because the brand, the marketing, the storytelling just wasn't there. Um, so when he left, he went and acquired Pixar and like became the majority shareholder of Pixar, CEO of Pixar, but he was actually pretty hands-off, uh, which, is, which is surprising, uh, just knowing how he was at Apple, which is kind of the opposite of hands-off. Um, but he talked a lot about how he just absorbed the storytelling at Pixar, like how did they turn, you know, a toy toy and to a $500 million, you know, one of the biggest movies ever, Finding Nemo. Like, and he took those principles from Pixar that he spent so much time learning and applied them to Apple his second time through. And I think another underrated thing he did was hiring John Ivey, which is one of the best designers of all time because he came to understand how packaging was so important and what, you know, you know, I think Apple's probably the one company that I buy something from and I like feel bad throwing away their packaging almost. Uh, and if you think about like the story that that tells is basically, this is a high quality product. That's, and it's gonna cost you more. It's gonna be all those things, uh, but they nailed it from the packaging to the pricing, to the marketing, to everything. Like his second stint at Apple, like absolute masterclass when it comes to storytelling just across product pricing marketing brand everything 100 so how did you get into storytelling and and what's kind of your story around that that's a that's a great question i so my background is actually in engineering i uh, went in like did engineering in school always like math science uh focused but at the same time love to read and write which is sometimes it's a bit of an odd combination. So figuring out how to like combine that is something that I've always wanted to do. So when I got out of school, went into consulting for a couple of years, um, learned a ton. Like uh, I had a really, really good experience, but it's, uh, it's one of those things where you kind of tap out what you can learn two to three years in and you look ahead and you're like, you know, you would learn more as a partner, but that's not for another eight to 12 years if you're really good. And you kind of look ahead and you're like, ah, is that the life that I want? Maybe not. Uh, and then it becomes, okay, what are my unique skill sets now? Like I've built out this like tech and business background from engineering, consulting, like 
point of time, like it's basically like drinking from a fire hose when it comes to like doing business. And then at the same time, I had written like a full length fantasy fiction novel and dove into, you know, C.S. Lewis, J.R. Tolkien, J.K. Rowling, Neil Gaiman, like all the like best authors and from like a fantasy fiction perspective of the last like hundred years essentially and just studied what they did. Uh, I love how Neil Gaiman writes. Um, so that's who I try to like, model that style of writing uh, after. And combining those two worlds, I think it's, um, you know, storytelling business, put them together and it's a pretty unique niche. Yeah, fair enough. What's going on with the, the, the novel? Are you going to try to get that published? Yeah, so it's actually the impetus for me starting to build more of an online audience is for first time authors, it's uh, publishing houses don't really throw a lot of marketing budget at you. So I was like, all right, I, only, I, can, I can write with the book, I can write on Twitter or LinkedIn or wherever it might be. Um, and figuring out how to you know, capture people's attention, provide value, all that good stuff. Uh, helps out my fiction writing quite a bit, but that was the impetus to start building an audience. And now I can go to a publisher and say, I, I'm going to paint a random house. And like, look, uh, I have this book. I know it's very good. You know, it's very good. But also you have a lot of people who want to be authors who come to you with solid writing. Like it is what it is. Like there's a lot of good writers out there who never get a book deal. So how can you differentiate yourself? And to me, I can say, look, I have 130,000 followers on Twitter. I have 20,000 people on a newsletter. You barely have to spend any marketing dollars on me and I can sell books without you. So we should partner and we should do this thing because you know, by the time this book is actually published, it's like a two-year process from the time you actually start talking to somebody, um, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Like that makes zero sense. Like there's, there's a lot of inefficiencies there. And I say like, look, that'll be 300,000 plus like, on Twitter, we'll I've figured out LinkedIn by that point. The newsletter will probably be like 75 to 100K. Like those are really powerful marketing channels. One of them that I own being the newsletter and the others being, you know, more like mass appeal. Like I can get however many impressions um, at any time to launch that. So I think that's pretty powerful. Yeah, 100%. The audience provides leverage um, when having conversations with publishers. And it's one of the reasons as well. I wrote, you know, screenplays and, and uh, novels and or novellas. Yeah, that kind of stuff. I studied English in college. So when I had a lot more free time, wasn't trying to pay the bills, I, I had a lot more free time to be able to just write long form. And, and that's really the end goal sure. is just, you know, make money uh, via short form and then be able to uh, spend more time, uh, buy time to be able to spend time on the projects that uh, I really want to want to put out there. So, um, yeah. What type, yeah. What, what type of like novellas and all that would you, would you, do you write? I'm curious. Yeah. So the novella is kind of dark uh, comedy, uh, kind of like Vonnegut style. Vonnegut's always been a big one for me. Yeah. Jack Kerouac. So that kind of dark humor, exploration, coming of age stories. Um, so I wrote a novella about an obituary writer that kills people to fuel his career. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good one. That's a, yeah. that's a great concept. Thank you. And so I really, uh, 
I don't know. I want to just keep going with that and, um, uh, you know, explore with crypto as well. And, and, um, you know, stories about yeah. not, not really the metaverse stuff, but more just like the real world, uh, scammers, hackers, uh, the wild shit that goes down in crypto and, yeah. and turn that into like a real story. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I was talking to a friend the other day, like if I don't sell a screenplay by the time I'm like 35, I'll be pissed off. Like, you know, like, I, I want to do that kind of okay. shit. So, um, yeah, yeah the, that's awesome. The, the audience what, um, just makes it easier. <laughs> what, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. One thing that I think about a lot with crypto is um, like the long tail of the IP, virtual property. I feel like is often lost. Um, like you think about Star Wars or Harry Potter. There's so much like fan fiction out there for those the worlds that is pretty high quality stuff, but nobody's making money off that because it's copyright infringement. If they do try to make money off of it, it's not quite big enough for you know the big publishing houses to care about it and try to figure out how to make a deal with you know the people who actually created it. But then it's like, okay, we can figure out how to essentially get some of that on a blockchain, figure out royalties, all that good stuff. Going back to the original creator, I, I feel like there's a lot of value to be unlocked there. Something yeah, I think about recently. Oh, 100%, man. I mean, yeah. I just wrote a story last week about Multicoin Capital raising a $430 million fund. And one of the big things that they're focusing on is A, creator monetization and B, new models yeah. of intellectual property via nfts and and crypto and, yeah. and building businesses yeah. around that um you know a couple of projects that i'm really a big fan of uh jenkins the valet so it's a guy who owned the board eight yeah man yeah. i could i could send you in the dms but jenkins the valet awesome. is a, a guy who owned a board ape and then uh, built up a character around it and then hired neil strauss the 10 times new york times bestseller and now he's yeah. writing uh, he, he's uh -huh. writing a book and they're releasing a book nice. NFT collection. And, uh, so that's it's, cool. Yeah. That's what yeah. I love about like NFT collections is they're almost like organisms or, or like a forest where they build up a whole ecosystem of yeah. people building, creating and, and, uh, whatnot. And it's uh, also like, that is something that the creators of board probably never would have expected, but because whoever that holder is, is creative in his or her own right to go do that, create the story around the character. And it's great too, just now their characters probably way more viable for them. Like, I was reading one of your posts, uh, just, I forget which one it was, but talking about the end in mind uh, when you're telling stories, um, it was the same one yeah. that was talking about like cutting the BS in the beginning of an essay. Um, I forget which one it was, but do you start with the end in mind always when you're, say when you're writing threads, when you're writing articles, even even the, the fantasy novel that you're writing, like, are you, yeah, for sure. You always have the end in mind. Yeah, so that's that's actually something that I learned after writing a novel because it can become pretty winding. I think <laughs> like the story itself can can just kind of go all over the place if you don't have like that specific destination going. Uh, so I'm actually in process of rewriting it knowing what the end should be and it's great because it focuses everything down to you know that main plot line and then you know a few subplots but not uh you know not all over the place and i, I think 
that's something I've learned recently when actually I was studying uh, J.K. Rowling for Harry Potter, like that fifth book, you can find her like, plot and outline of it online, um, which is pretty amazing to think about. It's like just a handwritten thing where she planned a book that sold you know, 25 million copies or whatever. Um, and there were only four subplots in one main plot, and this is like an 850-page book. So I was like, all right, <laughs> my book should probably be one main plot, two subplots max, uh, and just go deep on, on those. Uh, so I'm actually going back and rewriting it with, you know, knowing what the end is, knowing what the main plot is, the two subplots, and you can keep it super focused that way. And I found the same thing when writing shorter form, whether it's newsletter essays or Twitter threads or whatever. Like if you start with, this is what I want the audience to get out of it, boom. It can, it can be much more clear and I find my writing to be better. Like the first draft is not quite as shitty, all that good stuff. Yeah, 100%. I, I also found that when writing novels, if I don't have the end in mind, I have no idea how it's going to end. <laughs> I just keep on writing. And then it's exactly. so much easier for like essays when you have something in mind that you're, you're trying to say um, and then you just say it and it, <laughs> and it works out. Um, yeah. 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 So it goes. I, uh, yeah. Speaking of growing newsletters, you found your biggest way to grow. It has been Twitter threads, right? Yep. So, so for, for background, for anybody listening, uh, started a newsletter in April. It's now mid July and we've got almost 18,000 on there and should have 20,000 by early August, um, which is, which is great. That's grown between one and two thousand a week pretty much um so figuring out how to i basically figured out how to do that on twitter and the answer is one to two really high quality threads per week uh and when i'm when i say high quality like it needs to be original it needs to be pretty thought-provoking all that good stuff it can't be like oh google docs has two billion users and these are these features blah 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 like those can go super viral, but at the same time, they're not actually going to convert anybody or, you know, show how you think or anything like that. So they're just kind of going viral for the sake of the dopamine hit. Um, and, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. It's just harder to move people to like show people the value in your long form written content, which is what newsletter generally is. Um, so I go for the more kind of focused route um, and do those really consistently one or two times per week. And then it's figuring out how can I do as many cross promotions organically as possible. Those don't generate near as many subscribers, but they generate very high quality subscribers, meaning they're like opening the newsletter, they're clicking through to different links, all that good stuff. Um, and those are the things that really matter is like keeping that open rate high. Like my goal is 50% opens on, on everything. And if you start to see it dipping below that, then it's digging in and figuring out like, all right, you know, the audience is clearly telling me that the, the content's not good enough for them to open it. How can we, you know, what can we change? What was different about the ones that got the 50 plus percent open rate? So doing that and just, you know, focusing on, on what's important, which is, you know, open rate, click through rate, all that good stuff, basically just engagement rather than just that like vanity top line subscriber number. It's super important. 
100 100 um yeah <laughs> big facts i um twitter threads have grown been been the number one growth mechanism for my newsletter and really definitely uh yeah i mean it's it's been super helpful but i am uh just hoping to keep on growing it this year it's been it's yeah. been very fun to do i um one thing um for anybody interested in like twitter threads the thing that's been most helpful for me outside of just like what we talked about earlier with uh john mayer just like start you know if you have an idea for one just write it it might be terrible but you might be able to edit it into something super good and the more you do them the better they become all that good stuff um but really tactic tactfully like start and you very well might do this already um something that i i love doing for anything that i'm trying to get good at is to keep a swipe file say this was like a great thread um, done by whoever and you can go look at it see exactly what they did what was the like how did the content flow what was the call to action at the end what was their unique angle all that stuff um, so I, I i like doing that for threads it's super helpful um, come up with ideas structure all that good stuff oh yeah 100 percent um you know, Alex Lowell, you've probably seen him around. He writes a... Uh, I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, he writes a newsletter called The Steel Club. And it definitely helped me realize it was like, hey, it's all right, you know, not to steal fucking news or threads or whatever, because some people do that. But, you know, yeah. um, there's there's a few formats that, every, that, that work, that work very well, and you could make them your own. And um, as Stephen Pressfield says, it's not stealing if you put a spin on it, you know? Um, exactly. <laughs> yeah so it's it's definitely been fun um doing doing threads and watching those pop off it's a it's a crazy feeling um so you're your full-time newsletter and uh you were helping out with launch house as well correct yeah launch house they're great they're they're probably so I have a couple of different clients they're probably the one that i spend the most time with uh, toby howe who writes their newsletter home screen uh, probably one of the best just like peer newsletter writers that yeah. like I've read his content so it's 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 great to get to work with Toby and figure out how to turn that into you know a really great asset for launch house as a company I think it's pretty pretty brilliant um, play really to, to invest in that for them like something that'll you know two to three years down the line home screens a massive newsletter like really known for being in the startup ecosystem and you know that's a amazing top of funnel asset for the launch house so yeah they're also a great company and enjoy working with those guys for sure for sure i have a favor to ask if you how would so i have trouble telling my story kind of about what i do um you know mm -hmm. analyzing internet patterns is kind of vague and so what i'm trying <laughs> trying to like figure out a way to tell that where it's like, I break down internet patterns. I study, you know, patterns over time and uh, kind of make them my own with personal essays that are funny sure. and witty. Um, so if you look at like my Twitter bio, what would you change? And then I'm also like a staff reporter at Defiant and need to like right. put that in there, um, which is like, you know, important, but it also confuses people because I write for two so separate things. So let me ask a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. When when you say internet patterns, are there either specific category or um, 
is there a way to break that down a little bit further into what is it like emerging internet patterns? Is it like new things that you see kind of on the forefront or, you know, is it internet patterns specifically within like new tech, whether that's like crypto, web three or AI or machine learning or whatever buzzword you want to use? Like what are the, is it, is there like a theme around what those patterns are? Yeah, that's a great question. So I've tried doing the, the, the 40 to 80 year internet patterns. Um, and those are more like technical essays and they don't do nearly as well as the emerging ones, which makes sense. You know, people are more familiar with it. Like I've written essays, decentralized friendships, which is like a relatively new concept, 20 years, 30 years, uh, friends around the internet and whatnot, and then meeting up with them. Um, you know, essays like that, and then 10 plus years losing on the internet, you know, just, just talking about trying to I like that one. That was good. Yeah, appreciate it. So I think kind of personal emerging patterns are the ones that really hit and that I, uh, I tend to focus on. So, um, yeah. And then I did have like, you know, in my, my newsletter description on beehive, it's like quote witty digestible. Like that's two words that people have used frequently to describe it. Um, yeah. I don't know if that'd be worth throwing in the bio. I always, <laughs> I never know what the right, the right way to do it is. Um, but yeah, any advice think, would be helpful. So I'm looking at, I'm looking at the profile. I think the whole vibe they got going with, uh, I don't know exactly what to call the, the profile picture, but just like the way it's distorted a little bit and the colors on, on like that, the header photo are I think really good and play nicely into what you're doing. One thing that you could do, and this is a, this is a small thing, but basically your your header focuses my eyes to your profile photo if that makes sense like the the animated character's body is pointed that way which drives my eyes that way uh, instead i would basically flip it so the character in the laptop are pointed at the follow button instead of your profile it's like a super small thing but if you look at uh like a bunch of creators will essentially funnel eyes to the follow button. It sounds stupid, but if you get, let's say you get, you know, 1000 profile impressions a week, if you turn that conversion from 5% to 8%, like that's, you know, 30 people, but in reality, you probably have way more than that if you're, you know, writing a lot on your newsletter, Twitter, doing threads, like that starts to add it, like add up and compound pretty quickly. So that's one thing I would consider doing is just flipping, like keeping the exact same image, but just like flipping it a little bit. So it drives eyes to the follow photo. Um, and then on the actual copy, um, let's see. So for anybody listening, this is what it says right now. Jason Levin, analyzing internet patterns, cyberpatterns.xyz, then a little dot, chatting with internet friends, patterns.chat. I assume that's what we're doing right now. Mm-hmm. Is that the website for the podcast? Nice. Correct. And then another little dot, crypto journalist at Defiant News. Um, and then you got like here in New York, you got cyber patterns again, born, joined. I would get rid of the birthday. Um, mm-hmm. And it just takes up space. I really like D 
the like newsletter subscribe button right there like the the thumbnail image is really well done similar to kind of the profile the headers the whole vibe fits and makes sense um similar thing there like it kind of points me away from the subscribe button though so i would just maybe like twist that or flip it or something so it's pointing some the like eyes to the subscribe button um and then on Which the actual that? copy Sorry. Flipping, if you're looking uh, at cyber patterns mm. uh like the subscribe button on the newsletter i feel like it almost angles me away from the subscribe button um that could just be me i'm not sure but something to look at basically just funnel eyes to where you want people to click and then on the analyzing internet patterns i would make that analyzing maybe emerging patterns or something i don't think it's super important that it's internet like so much is on the internet like a lot of pretty much any pattern in life is now going to be found on the internet i don't think that's like super important to include um, but i think the like it's emerging so that tells whoever's looking at your profile like this guy's on the forefront of you know whatever trends there are like that's what i expect him to be writing about is like the trends he's noticing he'll write about them i'll learn about them from him and it's going to be you know something new something whatever um so i would consider how to how to kind of get that across um i like the chatting with internet friends patterns that chat that's good and then crypto journalists defiant news i think that's good too i think like your main theme that you want to like the story that you want to tell somebody who's looking at this is this guy is you know specifically looking to identify emerging patterns that he's seeing in the world and he's going to write about him and i'm going to learn about him from following him yeah so maybe writing about emerging patterns um cyber patterns out xyz boom 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 um, yeah dude that's fascinating the the pointing the eyes i did not even <laughs> think about that um but it's uh it's brilliant um i don't know if i'll be able i'll, I'll try to flip the the little uh get review um photo um but need to find the psd file on photoshop and then already flipped around the header so uh, oh you did nice I'm real, I'm yeah real yeah fresh. yeah boom yeah that's great <laughs> that was quick yeah yeah man um this is fascinating though do you like uh i feel like <laughs> this is this is really ocd-ish but that's me um like checking the bio on like it looks different on my Twitter on my phone versus my girlfriend's. Like I don't know if it's the font size or oh, whatever, weird. but I, I don't know. Do you think about that stuff, or am I just overanalyzing it? Because that could probably be what it is. Um, let me. So I'm looking at it on my computer. Let me. Let me see what it looks like on my phone. As like one, you can't control everything, unfortunately. <laughs> true um, i think it's probably most important what it looks like on the phone yeah it's it's good i i like that you took out like so on the phone like getting rid of the birthday saved like an entire line mm -hmm. so people get to like cyber patterns and 
like the actual subscribe button quicker on your profile. Uh, so I think that's good. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think it's super solid. All right. Well, I just got a free session with Nathan Bow. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, man. Um, this yeah. stuff is. I feel like the pros know what they're doing. So. Well, one one thing that I the psychology behind all of this is pretty fascinating. I think it's uh, like when we're talking about like story storytelling, like a lot of it is psychology. Like what works and what doesn't can really be tied back to um, you know pretty far back in history with like what psychology works with humans and what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, is there any reading that you've done that really helps with that? Well, like, um, I think the most, uh, probably the best and most obvious example is the hero's journey, which is like Jason Tambles studied he, his book, a hero with a thousand faces is fantastic. It goes back to pretty much looking at like brief mythology through Rome, through basically through all of history up to like the 19 or 1800s. And a lot of the most famous, most popular, uh, longest lasting stories follow a very, very similar narrative arc, which isn't super surprising. Um, when you think about it, it's like, oh, like, that story did well, so its structure applied in a different way will also likely do well. That kind of intuitively makes sense. But the way he broke it down in, in the hero's journey is, is uh, awesome to see. And then once you read that book, you like, you know, you watch a Marvel movie, you're like, oh, that's what they're doing. Like this is meeting the mentor or crossing the threshold or whatever it might be. Um, so for some reason that structure just like works to tell stories. Yeah. Facts. I read, uh, the writer's journey, you know, the, yeah, yeah. I've read that one. Yeah. yeah I guess the, the play on the hero's journey, I read that in college and it kind of breaks your brain for a sec. You know, <laughs> you're yeah. like, oh, damn, like all I had to do was just follow a structure this whole time. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely helpful. The idea of like the mentor, the, um, what is it, uh, kind of the climax and all those ideas. And yeah it's, yeah, it's definitely helpful. I can't remember all 11 of them or whatever it was, but yeah. That, yeah. that and, uh, and then there's some, I think, pretty forward thinking brands are getting that into a lot of their materials, whether it's mar like, you know, marketing is kind of that initial touch point usually. And then they move it into like an education tool or how do they do pricing or, you know, different follow-ups, like how you get deeper down the funnel and they're starting to incorporate you know, the hero's journey there, uh, which I think is pretty brilliant. And some of them that are, are doing it, like Shopify does it so well. If you, if you poke through their website, you can really uh, start to tell, you know, exactly what, what they're, what they're trying to do and, and it works. Yeah, facts, facts. Dude, this has been a great call. Um, are you going to be in New York anytime soon? Potentially. So we're, uh, so I'm in, I'm in Spain right now. 
Um, but we're coming back end of July, going to be in Austin, but would not be shocked if uh, we end up in New York uh, full time or at least traveling there a, a good bit. I'll, I'll have to let you know. Okay. All right. That sounds great, man. And I know um, our mutual friend, uh, Jack Rains is coming to New York very soon as well. So it's going to be yes. nice to have him here. Yes. Jack, if uh, anybody listening needs a good, good newsletter, check out Jack's gunmoney.co. Dude, one of the, one of the best out there really. Yeah. I think it's going to blow up for him. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this man's going to be the Morgan Housel of memes. So yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, for real. Dude, appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. I'm going to put this out ASAP. So within the next couple of days, um, and uh, we'll put it out there. Sweet. Thanks a lot, Jason. Enjoyed this. All right. Peace, bro.